Oh, good morning. Can you hear me? Have we got a sound? No, we haven't. Yes, we do. Can you hear me, folks? Lovely. Fantastic. Well, good morning. Uh, before I forget, um, I have been asked to uh, let you know that there was an omission in the bulletin which was regarding the hillside um, um, house group this week, this Wednesday. It is on as usual. If you would like more details, then uh, Terry Hillier's your man. Um, I think he was outside on welcome. So if you uh, want to know any more details about Hillside uh, and the house group this week, do uh, have a chat with him. Okay, so what a beautiful morning that we've gathered uh, together today. And uh, so welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church. If, this is, uh, if you're joining us via the, uh, the wonders of technology, you are welcome. If uh, this is your first time with us here, of course you are very welcome. And uh, if uh, you'd just like to make yourself known to us, then uh, we'd love to get to know you better. And uh, if uh, you've been coming forever, all of us, we are welcome and everyone in between, everyone is welcome to uh, our service this morning as we gather this Pentecost Sunday in worship. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Marion Richardson, one of the members here, and later David Wickersham, our church secretary, shall be bringing us what God has laid upon his heart as we continue our series on Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. So it is my intention to do things ever so slightly, don't worry, ever so slightly differently this morning. Um, it seems appropriate that on the day that we remember that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples as they waited, we too have time to wait upon the Lord. Feel free to stand, sit, quite frankly dance, those of you who are so inclined, um, or share what God has put upon your heart. Uh, those of you that would like to share something, if this is what you feel prompted to do, please, I would ask, though, that uh, you go via uh, Tim, our minister, who is, is sitting there, if, uh, if you wanted to do that, just so that we have uh, orderly worship and it, that is of benefit for all of us here at uh, Brighton Road. Um, so, my uh, intention, as I say, is to say less so that, the, so that the Lord might be able to say more. And uh, so um, with that, um, I would like us to, to call one another into uh, God's presence and uh, to let us do so, of course, through music. You know I love it. Um, so we're going to call each other to worship. And if you're able, let's stand together and uh, we're going to come now and worship the Lord. Gentlemen, you are going to kick us off, so do stand if you are able. Um, this is for the gentlemen. Um, 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 this is for the men. Um, 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 keep going, gentlemen. Aham, 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 aham. Ladies on this side.
majestic name fills the earth your glory is higher than the heavens when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers the moon and the stars you set in place when I see the beautiful sunshine and I feel the warmth upon our, my face who are we that you should think about us people here at Brighton Road that you should care for us O oh Lord, our Lord, we thank and praise you. Wherever we go, you are there. Whatever we think, you know it. Whatever we feel, you understand. Accept our offerings of worship this morning, we pray. In your most holy and precious name. Amen. So on this... Pentecost Sunday, let's uh, recall anew that first Pentecost. I'm going to read again those verses from Acts chapter 2 and uh, in two different stages, but they're going to remind us of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I invite you to shut your eyes if you would like to and imagine yourself there as we in turn wait in this room upon the Holy Spirit to move amongst us here and now and to stir us into action. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, 
there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Let's stand to sing, Holy Spirit. Precious in our Father's eyes. 
continue with our reading from Acts. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike and they will all prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
Before the children and their leaders go out to BRBK, let's just pray for them now. Holy Spirit, encourage those that will be in BRBK today as they learn more of you. Holy Spirit, inspire them to seek more of you in their lives so that they might walk with you more closely. Holy Spirit, enable them to go out into the rest of the week, empowered to live a life for you, having met with you today. We ask this in your name. Amen. So if you'd like to make your way, those of you who are involved in BRBK, that would be great.
as we continue our explorations into 2 Corinthians, let's now turn to chapter 8, starting at verse 16. Paul writes, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. But you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. The first thing that uh, struck me when I read this passage in my preparation was the number of times motivating words or phrases were included. Enthusiasm, initiative, Zealous, eagerness, be ready, urge, generous gift. The people of God are having quite the pet talk. Uh, we also read of Titus. Paul describes him as a partner and fellow worker. It seems at today that we affirm our part of being together here at Brighton Road, partners and co-workers for Christ's message of hope, forgiveness, and salvation in our community in Horsham. But remember, just like Peter preaching that first gospel message, or the church in Corinth, we do not do so alone, but in the strength that only comes from God. I should like for us to watch uh, a video now that uh, I feel picks up some of these ideas, uh, and it's by a guy called Matthew West. And uh, it's a song called Do Something. I woke up this morning 
saw a world full of trouble now I thought, how do we ever get so far down And how's it ever gonna turn around So I turned my eyes to heaven I thought, God, why don't you do something Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of People living in poverty Children sold into slavery The thought disgusted me So I shook my fist at heaven
partners and co-workers in the gospel. I appreciate some of you might have struggled to hear some of the words. So if you want to, I can uh, send you the link or I can send you the, the lyrics if it makes it more helpful. Um, but at the very least, we can, when it comes to doing something, we can come to God in prayer. So let's do that now. Let's spend some time in silent prayer for our world. Pour out your heart to him. Let's pray for international situations. Finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves. We recognise we fall short of what you would have us be. We let you down. We've said and done things that have been thoughtless and selfish. And we've not done and said things we ought and betrayed our true priorities. We're sorry. Thank you that you are so patient, so loving, so gracious, and so forgiving. We acknowledge that in all areas of our lives, we need you. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we might better serve you. In your name we pray. Amen. Before David comes and shares with us from uh, God's word, let us sing, I need thee every hour. Let's stand.
Good morning. Good morning. Am I audible? Yes. This morning I've been given the title to preach on, which is Titus the Completer Finisher. And I'm smiling at Tim because I've already confessed to Tim that I find this one pretty tough. This is quite a, a tough commission. Because you'd think, wouldn't you, that if you're going to be talking about someone who's actually earned um, their name to be actually put to a book in the Bible, that actually this is going to be a rich scene. But the fact is that if you go home and you actually plug into an online concordance, the name Titus, you'd be surprised actually there's not a lot to be said about him. And the number of facts that we actually know about Titus are few and far between. But nevertheless, to take on the task, I'm going to start at the beginning. It seems a sensible place to start. The first event in which we learn about Titus is an event that actually Paul talks about in his letter to the Galatians. Now, just to remind you, the problem that really bugged um, Paul throughout his ministry was that there was always this contingent amongst the Jewish Christians who would add in that actually you can't be saved by faith alone. That it had to be faith plus the law of Moses. And that might mean the food laws, circumcision. Paul was incensed by this. And rightly so, because when you think about it, Paul, of all people on earth, knew very well that we will not be saved by keeping the law. Paul was a Pharisee. He spent his early life steeped in the law of Moses. But he knew very well that it was not until he came face to face with Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was not until then that he came to faith. Only then did he, did he discover salvation. And so it irked Paul that there was this noise continually going on whereby his converts, where he'd established churches in somewhere like Galatia, explaining quite confidently and positively, we're saved only by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There were those that would add in a bit, oh, and keep the law of Moses. And of course, for, for Christian men, it would mean circumcision. And so it was that Paul, understandably, in writing to the Galatians, who'd actually been unsettled by this heresy, it's quite understandable that he should actually do a quick, give a quick potted history of how it had been for him. How it was that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus how he'd had three years consolidating that newfound faith. And how, after a brief visit to Jerusalem, he then actually spent 14 years preaching the gospel in Cilicia, which is in southwest Turkey. Cilicia, by the way, was the region where Tarsus was. Tarsus was his hometown. So he was preaching the gospel for 14 years in Cilicia and over the border in Syria. 
But after those 14 years, he explains to the Galatians that he made another trip to Jerusalem. He wanted to set out an explanation of what his mission comprised and what he was doing amongst the Gentiles, and he wanted to set it before what he termed the, the apostolic pillars, meaning Peter, James, and John. But when you read the account in Galatians, you have to smile a little bit, because in actual fact we know very well that there wasn't anything too submissive in Paul on this occasion. What Paul had in mind was the fact that even in Jerusalem, amongst the brethren, there was an infiltration of those who still clung to the law of Moses and circumcision and food law. So when Paul made that journey to Jerusalem, it wasn't actually necessary to submit meekly to whatever he heard there. He was there on a mission. Paul had earned the reputation that he was weighty in his writing, but pretty weak and unimportant if you actually met him. I suspect that that was very wrong on this occasion. I think that when Paul had the bit between his teeth over something as fundamental as this, it was watch out anyone in Jerusalem. He put together a delegation, led by himself, of course. Pharisee of the Pharisees, steeped in the law, winning a scholarship to the school of Gamaliel in Jerusalem and learning from all about the law from Gamaliel himself. He knew all about the law and what the law of Moses meant. But he also took along with him Barnabas. And I think that's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because actually, it was 17 years earlier when he was Saul of Tarsus very shortly after his conversion on the road to Damascus, having had his sight restored by the hands of Ananias, he quickly made his way to Jerusalem, but the disciples didn't want to meet him. They were terrified that it was a trap. You remember that Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, so when in Jerusalem they heard that he's back and he's wanting to make contact with the apostles, they didn't believe him. It was Barnabas who went out, reached out to Saul, and actually brought him into the fold. It was Barnabas who was able to reassure something of a go-between, if you like, between Paul and, uh, and, and the apostles. And here we are 17 years later, there's Barnabas again. It's a different sort of confrontation that's brewing here. But the other interesting piece is that Barnabas was a Levite. It's relevant on this occasion because having come from the tribe of Levi, Barnabas was steeped in a full understanding of all of the ceremonial rules that attended the Jews, including circumcision. So we're beginning to get quite a sort of a picked team here that's going to take a head on with the Judaizers, those that insisted on circumcision and adherence to law. But Paul saw fit to take a third person. Now, 
who would you take? You've got to find a way of actually this showdown with those who insisted on law and circumcision. Who would you actually want to put up in front of them to showcase what you're doing as a missionary? Well, you take a Gentile, a male, uncircumcised. You choose someone who's Greek, who'd had absolutely no grounding whatever in the law, no understanding whatever of all the rights and ways of the law of Moses. You would take someone that had come to faith under your ministry, someone who you would describe elsewhere as your child in the faith, someone perhaps that you'd laid hands on, that you knew had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and so an uncircumcised Greek Gentile, ignorant of the law of Moses, would need to be someone who bears scrutiny, whose life was living out the law's demands, totally ignorant of the law. And it was Paul's masterstroke, of course, because he took Titus. So I've warned you, we don't know many facts about Titus, but we can work it out, can't we? That Paul wouldn't have rather stupidly taken along someone, for example, who was still lacking self-discipline, immoral, anything where those who insisted on law-keeping could find opportunity. He would have taken someone who he... Paul trusted and knew that though he'd never received the law, he'd received the Holy Spirit. And the mind of Christ in Titus was providing all of the law's demands and that was the person that he'd be putting up against the Judaizers. And so it was that Paul succeeded in his mission. Of course, those that actually insisted on circumcision, adherence to the law of Moses, they weren't done and dusted. They were around for a long time. It took a long, many years before that particular group finally faded away and it was accepted that we are saved only by the grace of God. But he did, Paul and Barnabas did receive the right hand of fellowship, confirming that they should return and continue their mission to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas, doubtless, could have argued the veracity of their missions to the the Gentiles without Titus, but there's no doubt that the embodiment in Titus dispelled doubts. It was following that appearance of Titus as a part of the delegation that Titus contented himself in diligently attending to routine but essential tasks. The clearest brief that we actually have 
of what Paul asked Titus to do is inevitably Paul's letter to Titus. The letter is effectively a brief. It's a direction to um, Titus as to what Paul wanted of him. Crete, as an, the island of Crete, did receive news of Jesus early. We know that it was on that first Christian Pentecost when Peter was addressing the crowds, we know that Cretans were in the, in the crowd. And it was they who actually exclaimed that they were hearing people speaking in tongues in their own language. So very early, Crete will have got feedback of what was going on in Jerusalem and revelations of how Jesus was alive and how the Holy Spirit had descended upon many in Jerusalem. But somehow, evangelism of Crete was faltering. And so it was that um, Paul took Titus on his tour of Crete. But Paul needed to move on, and he left Titus there to actually finish up. You can read Titus in your own time. It's an interesting book. But it clearly sets out what Paul wanted Titus to do. It was simply to tidy away things that were outstanding, emphasise to people in Crete how it was important to live a godly life. And also he commissioned Titus to find elders in the church and set them up. In Corinth, we see Titus turning up again. It was here that the skills of Titus were manifest in an otherwise rather contentious situation. Paul, Paul struggled, really, with Corinth. It was a difficult congregation. And they kept on falling out with him. And it was in those situations that Paul would send Titus in to calm things down. We suspect that Titus was a person sort of chap. He was able to kind of smooth things over. He could be described as a peacemaker. And of course, notably, we know about Titus and his work in Crete through what we read earlier. What I didn't explain is that in that time when Paul and Barnabas with Titus went uh, to Jerusalem to, in their, their confrontation, if you like, with those who insisted on law and circumcision, it was on that occasion, yes indeed, Paul received the right hand of fellowship and was dispatched to continue his mission, but he was also commissioned to undertake a collection for the saints. At the time, there was a frightful drought and famine in Judea, and Christians in Jerusalem were exceedingly poor. Paul was keen that around the churches of the Gentiles that he should actually um, organise a collection Paul clearly saw that as being part of an endorsement, if you like, of his mission, if he could show that Gentiles were generously contributing. But in Corinth, 
the work stalled. Paul came under accusation that he was actually arranging the collection for himself and he was going to be siphoning off funds. And for one reason or another, the collection really just didn't seem to work as well as Paul had hoped. So who did he send in to sort it all out? Well, as we read, it was Titus. Titus managed to get the Corinthians back on track and the collection was eventually brought to completion. So there we have it. There are one or two other references, but pretty much that's it about Titus. Is there anything more to be said? Well, first of all, I should just explain that the rather remarkable thing about Titus, we can see that he was so important to Paul But actually, it was only when the canon of Scripture was put together and Paul's various letters and others were put together in the Bible that we actually begin to see Titus emerge because he's never mentioned in Acts of Apostles. He's totally and completely blanked. And it is odd because Luke, the author of Acts of Apostles, was very much engaged in Paul's missionary work. It's even thought that in that reading, when when it was talking about um, two individuals um, who were going to deliver what we now call two Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, some experts think that it was unquestionably Titus and Luke together who took that letter to, to Corinth. So why was it that Luke never mentioned Titus? And the truth is that Luke probably saw him as supporting cast. He was important to Paul, but not particularly to Luke. Titus wasn't an evangelist like Paul or Silas. He wasn't an eloquent teacher like Apollos. He wasn't a miracle worker like Peter. He wasn't a prophet like Ananias or the Philip's famous daughters. He was content with knuckling down and delivering essentials without glamour or kudos. What do we make of it all? Well, I think we can learn a few lessons. I think perhaps we should learn to celebrate people who have no celebrity. For me, I draw something of a parallel in this with a chapter that I love and is so well-thumbed in my Bible. It's Hebrews chapter 11. It's a remarkable book, a remarkable chapter. It's commonly referred to as the roll call of the faithful. And I'm quite fascinated that in this acknowledgement of the great champions of faith, The writer in Hebrews 11 starts off with famous people. Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses. Halfway through the chapter, 
you start reading lists of names because then it's saying actually time won't allow them to actually speak of the works of and there's lists of names now and they're not quite so famous. Barak, Jephthah, this is where you actually go to an index thinking gosh we ought to know these people because Hebrews 11 thinks these are famous people and famous for their faith so we better check them out and we discover actually these are minor judges and it's going along. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, you read about people who are unknown. People who are homeless, who are destitute, afflicted, put to the sword, living in holes in the ground, caves and dens. And as a child, I rather marvelled over this. As a young Christian, it occurred to me that actually on the day of salvation, when we celebrate being, if you like, with the Lord, if there were a ceremony in which the great faithful paraded, would we expect them to appear in the same order as they appear in Hebrews 11? The fact is that people who showed faith against appalling affliction. They're not known to the writer of the Hebrews. Their names aren't known, but they're known to God. They're known to God as surely as God knows Noah and Moses. And if you find yourself afflicted, hard-pressed, rest assured God knows you, and you keeping faith with him, is as surely known as he knows Noah to be faithful. And I think with Titus we can learn that actually it's not always the great celebrities that are important in God's purpose in bringing faith uh, to, to his on earth. Recently, I was astonished um, for the first time in my life, it was just recently, I was putting together the list of representatives um, for this church, for the AGM. And I was astonished at all the work that goes on here at Brighton Road. Things that I never knew happened. And I'm, I really shouldn't start the list because I know that I'm going to miss people out, but it's sort of, I, for, I'm learning about the flower ministry and the welcome team the sound desk, projection, pastoral visiting, building maintenance, PMA, lunch club, craft club, art club, safeguarding, the worship group. And I know I shouldn't have started because I know I'm missing people out. But it's not just the lists of representatives, it's all the people that they represent, the teams of work that go on here for this fellowship and to ensure that the name of Jesus is presented to our neighbourhood. And I think maybe we should actually look to Titus as someone who is content never to have made it as a great person to be, to be named in Acts of Apostles. God was with him. God has put his spirit upon him. That was clear, not by virtue of major gifts, he wasn't the miracle worker, but he showed fruit of the Spirit and he was prepared to roll his sleeves up 
and yes, put his, put his shoulder to the wheel, get the work done. And how did he get that position? He didn't do it by working of the law. He, Titus, had found that moment when he could open his heart and God graciously granted him the Holy Spirit. And I guess for us today, as we remember Pentecost, it's an opportunity for us to, just like him, to lift our hearts to God, noting that, as Joel had said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Even on my servants, men and women. There's no distinction of age. If you're an old man like me, you are here. Never mind gender, men and women, here, young and old. God promised through Joel that he would pour out his spirit. The other thing that I think we'll take away from learning about Titus, I am struck that for Paul, what it was about Titus, yes, he wasn't a miracle worker, but Paul, in actual fact, regularly did not promote the gifts of the spirit. We do from time to time, and rightly so. But actually, Paul was preoccupied much more by the fruits of the Spirit. He set them out in Galatians chapter 5, for example. And when he wrote to Titus, it's an amazing book. We don't learn much about Titus from it, except that you almost wonder why Paul bothered to write it to Titus, because Titus must have known all, all all that was in it. An overseer entrusted with God's work must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as he had been taught. And the message to Titus too was similarly encouraged the young men to be self-controlled in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech. Paul, you see, is preoccupied with the fruits of the Spirit. He doesn't promote Titus because uh, he was a miracle worker. He took him to Jerusalem because his life bore scrutiny. So today, let's follow Titus. Let's find opportunity maybe amongst yourselves when you go home. Find a room, close the door, and commemorate Pentecost by lifting your heart and praying that once again God will fill you with his Holy Spirit. As Paul wrote to Titus, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, 
being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Amen. Just take um, just take a moment, just to be to still and and to reflect on some of what David has said, and then we'll lead one another in a, in a final song where the words will be um, um, unfamiliar, but the tune really will be. Let's stand to sing together our final closing hymn.
as you go forth from this place. May the wind of the Spirit startle our senses and blow through our lives. May the fire of the Spirit scorch our complacency and light our way. And may the blessing of the Holy One, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, rest with us all now and forevermore. Amen.